Our scripture reading today is Romans 6, 1 to 14, if you want to join me. Romans 6, 1 through 14. I'll be reading out of the NIV. It says, dead to sin, alive in Christ. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For we have been united with him in a death like his. We will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. Join me in prayers for Pastor Wes. Lord, we lift up your servant Wes. Thank you for the gifts you've given him. Thank you for the ministry you've placed in his heart. Thank you for the word that he'll share with us today. Walk with him in his life as he helps, instructs, and uh, walks with each of us, and walk with him in his personal life as well in all situations. We lift this up to you in your name. Amen. I'm particularly thankful for the reference that Russ just gave. <clears throat> You'll notice that the, the title this morning that I chose was The Point of Grace. And in the same way, when you think about that Isaiah passage, you think about Christ. God did not send his son into the world to take on the sins of the world, except that he would return having accomplished the purpose for which he was sent. And the point of grace is the beginning of faith, and it is the sustaining of grace. And it is what leads us all the way home through the journey of life. We have identified before that we are in a major battle. We're in a battle for the right to redefine sin, the right to redefine the need of grace altogether. We are in a culture that is seeking to essentially say you don't have to worry about forgiveness because there is no right or wrong. Some descriptions of what sin is like include like weeds in a garden. If it's not rooted out, it will soon overrun it. 
Very true. Sin is like having cataracts. It slowly adds a layer over your eyes until sooner or later we can't see too clearly anymore. It's like gravity. It's an ever-present force. You can't see it, but you can only see its effects. Like an anesthetic, it has a numbing effect. Like the leak in a pipe, until it's repaired, the damage will keep spreading. And so we basically see this constant move of brokenness. And we wonder, why? Why is the world so broken? Why are things not working? Why is family, marriage, why is community conflict or, um, or global conflict? Why, why can't we get along? We can't get along because we're broken and we're impacted by the reality of sin. And so what we recognize is that sin separates, sin divides. It brings death to relationships and destroys fellowship. So if you want one definition of it, that's it. It breaks what God intended from the beginning to be a glory to him in his creation. It undermines and takes away the very thing of joy and peace and love and unity and purpose. And people are confused about who they are because it's a confusion that is raised by the fact that people feel and experience a sense of brokenness, a sense of being defined by the world. Some people have tried to summarize sins by making a list of them. Even in Proverbs 16, or 6, verse 16 says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, false witness who pours out lies, and the seventh, a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Now that's just one list. But again, if you go down through the list, it's an example of many, many, many more that are designed to divide what Christ came to reunite. Our relationship with God. And we're called... And when we look back on the day of Pentecost, we see that God did an interesting reversal of the Babel process with one language from heaven demonstrated that all the shares would, one, would be of one divine language, that everyone would understand that there would be peace there would be a reuniting. So the point of grace is the point of Jesus Christ. And if you want to eliminate sin, you essentially have just argued your way out of there being any reason for Jesus to be followed, much less worshipped. Now that's depressing. And that's the result of sin. It's always depressing, always broken. The world is telling us there are no consequences anymore. 
And there's no responsibility. You don't have to be responsible. There are no rules, so you don't have to feel guilty. Isn't it ironic that the less rules that there are and the less clarity there is to what is right and wrong, the more people feel confused? That my business is nobody else's business. That's a message of sin. And sin can, in fact, does master us eventually. It takes over and it destroys fellowship. So you were sent something unusual this week. You were sent a series of passages and a series of questions. And we said there would be an open mic time. Now, let's just think about this for a second. I want to explain something I've never quite, I don't think, expressed before. There would be those who say that church isn't church without the sermon. And the sermon needs to be delivered by the pastor. And the problem that I have with that is that I'm just not that good. The problem is that that's part of this whole concept that we, as particularly as, as churches that take the Pentecost seriously, as churches that take the all of Scripture seriously and read the entire Bible and, and understand the Bible as a whole and understand that there's nothing in Scripture that's not to be applied to our lives the problem with it is, is that we end up thinking and believing that one person only in this body of believers is fit. Maybe two if you include Doug, three with Sung Bin. But otherwise, those are the only preachers. Now, I, I will just, okay, let's nudge, nudge, wink, wink here, parentheses and say, we've long abandoned that. I know that. Yell Creek's been great about having lay preachers bring the word of God. But here's my point. If God saved you from the power and guilt of sin, you have a sermon. You have a message. You have the work of God in your life. And you may not come up here to preach it. You may not feel that you're called to, to go into full-time ministry but the reality is that the point of God's grace is that that grace would now flow through us to others in every way possible and in all the opportunities we have. And to limit that to say, well, that's only, well, if you don't have the title, if you don't have the title and you don't have the, uh, all of the right uh, achievements and degrees whatever they are, you're not qualified. There is nowhere in the process of Jesus teaching this ragtag group of fishermen and carpenters and, and, and who knows what and calls them into full-time missionary work. Come on. If God uses them, he uses us. 
And so the power of this issue of overcoming sin and the guilt of sin and making Jesus Christ the point of grace for our lives is to unleash and open up and release the power of the Holy Spirit in all of our lives. Now, I don't know if I talked to you into that or not, uh, because now we're going to move to an open mic time. <clears throat> we may be here a long time, people. I'm just telling you. Um, you know, some of you already got a sermon brewing. Um, but we gave a list of questions. So there would be two ways to go about this. I could sit up here and talk for another 20 minutes or 15 minutes <clears throat> and go over a, a series of different points. But the, some of the questions that a lot of people are asking to bring greater clarity to these questions of sin and how we approach it is, is, have been listed in examples that were sent out to the congregation. So I'd like to first of all ask, where is God speaking to your heart? And, and someone get us started and say, I have this question or I have this thought or uh, I have this reflection. There's this verse that was important to me that in reading those scriptures, it struck me as being significant. Someone start us. What inspired you as you looked at that and reflected on any of the questions? Arthur. The pictures on the screen this morning had a river flowing and it had an ocean. Those were well, well, coordinated, coordinated with the scriptures. Beautiful. That's why we need to come to church this morning. We learned so many new things. It was a beautiful coordination. Thank you, Arthur. An affirmation. And, of course, you all know for sure that that was not me. Gwen and others uh, using gifts to, to do that visual. Um, Thank you just for the word of affirmation, Arthur. I appreciate that. That's, that's wonderful. Someone else. Now, did any of you notice this? That what Arthur just shared is one of the tools of overcoming the brokenness of the world. Yeah, hang on just a second. What he just did was thankfulness and affirmation. And we live in a world that tears down and criticizes and is negative and beats up. And he just overcame that with a positive word. The point of God's grace is to focus on what God does for us and promises to us. And not to focus on what's wrong with the world. So thank you for that illustration of that. Go ahead. I was reading this week in John 16 where, Paul, where Jesus says uh, the sin of the world is unbelief. I think that's a challenge for all of us of faith that we constantly grow in our faith and in our belief, our convictions. Uh, it's a lifelong process, I think. And that is, unbelief is the thing that keeps us out of the kingdom. Thank you, Truman. Great word. Great word. Over here on the side, on the outside. Over here, is, is there somebody over here? Yeah, go ahead. Connor. And just go ahead and say your name as you start. I am Connor Wes. <laughs> so I have been up there. I 
gave another testimony in our sermon, and I do have another one brewing with us, so just FYI. But committing to God is not just a one-time thing. It's a daily thing, just like what Truman said. It's a lifelong thing. It's something I struggle with every day. Sin doesn't stop because you one time committed to God. It's a daily, daily thing you have to commit yourself to God because sin stops for nothing. The more you grow closer to God, the stronger the sin comes, and it becomes harder and harder every day. I'm 24 years old, and it's really hard. But I know his grace is sufficient enough for me. I want to do as well every day. I want him to know me. I want him to acknowledge me in his father's presence. That's what I want to feel. That's what I want to know, that God knows me. Thank you so much, Connor. Let me just make a, a, a brief word. Connor's an engineer. That's what he does. You know what his purpose is, what his vocation is? The work of Jesus Christ in his life. Let's never confuse our jobs or our roles with our mission of representing Christ well in this world. Thank you so much, Connor. Over here. My name is Keith Bascalone, and uh, when we talk about, you know, being dead to sin, overcoming sin, you know, I think about a couple things. First of all, my lifestyle of sin before Jesus. That lifestyle almost killed me twice from drug overdoses. It landed me in prison for two years for dealing drugs. But that's, that's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus came in here and he started working and he started changing me day by day. You know, and I'm stubborn so it takes a long time, but he's still working and I know that and I have that faith that he's in here working. You know, I just don't think it's no coincidence that I wanted to speak today and a Gideon comes in here and guess who came and visited me when I was in jail and gave me a Bible when I was in jail. It was the Gideons. And it was also a, a chaplain too. People like that, yourself, sir, you know, people, people like you in, in front of me today, this congregation has encouraged me to continue in my faith walk. And I just want you guys to know that I need you and I appreciate your help and your prayers and your support. And uh, I just got to bring this up because, you know, I, I, it's like a miracle. Uh, next Monday, 16th U.S. Open qualifier. Who does that? Who goes to prison for two years and gets out and plays in four Indiana Opens? 16 U.S. Open qualifiers. There's 9,000 people in this world of the best golfers trying out for the U.S. Open, and I'm one of them, and now my son is also one of them. That's a testimony to God's faithfulness right there. It's not because I'm a great golfer. That not, has nothing to do with it. It's not about me chasing a dream. I look at golf as an opportunity to share my testimony with the other golfers and to tell them about Jesus. That's what golf is about to me, just so you guys know and we're clear on that. Because I don't really care about making it. I don't really care about fame or fortune. That's not why I do any of this. It's all because Jesus is in here and he's motivating me. 
right to share him with others. So thank you for allowing me to share and bless you all. Thank you, Keith. If you've never heard Keith's entire testimony, it's tremendous. Um, just a tremendous word. Who's next? I'll just tell you, um, we, uh, Doug and I uh, helped with a, a funeral this past Monday. And uh, I made a, a quote because when we were on spring break, long story, but we ran over to uh, Jupiter, Florida to watch a baseball game. And I was sitting there 25 feet from Albert Pujols, the great Albert Pujols, one of the greatest hitters in baseball, still playing. And, I, and he was that close. And by the way, he was two for two in that game. But I remembered a quote, and I went back after that and looked up the quote. I don't know if I can say it exactly, but it was pretty close to this. He said, he said um, baseball is basically my means to elevate Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. If we could just see that all of this other stuff in life is great and good only to the degree that it elevates, illuminates, projects, shares, and, and, and flows out the power of Christ and his redemptive work to other people. That's the criteria of greatness. And, uh, and I think uh, I, it, just, it just moves me. I've, I've been a, a sort of a fan for a while, but, but that in a nutshell says... Nothing is great except that it glorifies our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Someone else this morning. Bob Sturry, concerned with, for young people, all of us, but we're all young, I guess. But, you know, we're bombarded. And when I watch TV and I'm on a sports event or whatever the show would be, and then out of the blue, an innocent show turns into a commercial that, is something you wouldn't want your grandkid to look at, and probably I shouldn't look at it in some cases either. But it's out there in front of them all the time, and the pressures of the world with the mass communication, internet, and we aren't trying to be naive on all this stuff. It's just too accessible. And so when we have programs like Vacation Bible School or a chance to bring kids into the Word, we should be all over that and... Uh, you know, we all have our own homes to raise our own families, but there's a lot of families out there that don't have a structure to do that with. So uh, just enough prayers for the world and uh, each other and, and the young next generation coming up behind us. Mm -hmm. Great challenge for us. My name's Brent Reinhardt. So um, just like Bob mentioned, I'm, I'm imagining most of our sin is private sin. I doubt too many of us are public sinners. Um, and that's the, uh, where the power of sin prowls, is in the darkness. And if we want to overcome the sin in our lives, we absolutely have to open the closet to the light of Jesus Christ. And for that, that means we got to get serious about uh, confession and repentance. And that's something that is extremely difficult, and that's where, uh, and if we don't do that, though, that's where the addiction of sin continues, because we don't open ourselves up to that, the possibility of Christ uh, 
well, Christ will work even in the darkness, but it'll be much, <laughs> once we expose the darkness, it's much more difficult to sin, to operate. And so we need to get serious about confession and repentance. And that might be in your Sunday school. It might be to a close friend. But if you're struggling, and it's the hardest thing, because I know personally, that confession is hard. But once that confession is there, and you can name it, and you can name that sin, some of that power is lost. And um, so... I would call us to consider confession and repentance. Thank you. Uh, we interestingly, I was in LMC uh, for meeting uh, in Lancaster, uh, Pennsylvania, on Friday for meetings, and the trip out and the trip back was with some of our um, uh, brother and sister pastors from our district, the LMC Great Lakes. West District, and one of them said, hey, if you think about it, pray for us tomorrow, because he was having uh, two two men from his congregation that were going to be uh, getting up front and sharing publicly their struggle with pornography. And he said, just pray for us that God will 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 open hearts and and enable their testimonies uh, to to instead of People trying to push it away because everybody wants to, like, you know, we don't talk about those. Which is what you're talking about is you keep the sin in the darkness. We just don't talk about it. And, and that only gives it more power and makes us struggle with it even more. Rather than to openly confess it to, to, to God and, and to be able to have an accountability relationship with others. So thank you, Brent. Anybody else yet? I want to just share um, just a few things, and we'll I'll try to to wrap up here. Um, a couple of things that I think are important. That we one of the things is this: we tend to think of sin as something that we do wrong. Okay. What about the things? that are right for us to do, but we don't do them. If you've ever reflected on that, but that, that there, is, there is an ability to identify uh, this question more directly. Uh, there's a number of scripture references that include all kinds of different sin. Um, but in Romans 14.23, which is later in the chapter from the passage that was read this morning. If you read down to verse 23, it says this. Ponder this. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. In other words, we think that there is this great neutrality out there. And I think it was C.S. Lewis that once said, that every single square inch of the entire universe is either claimed by God or counterclaimed by Satan. It's basically saying there is no neutral ground. If it's not ground on which I stand for Christ and am willing to identify with Christ, then it's not a place of faith, is a place of sin and separation. That neutrality and 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 it's not legalism either. 
Scripture does not call us back to a great new law and set of laws to be legalistic. But it does call us to be clear about what is contributing to God, what is positive, what is helping others. It's not just what's wrong. It's are we committed to doing what is right? That's one of the things. The other question that I think Brent actually brings up is, is this something that takes control of my life? Is this something that I end up, it ends up putting me in a position where I am either addicted or I am just out of control and I can't control it? It's another criteria to measure it by. And I think a third one is, does this behavior, whatever it is, have a positive faith impact on other people? And if it doesn't, it's sin. It's a sin that is going to continue to take us further away from God and perhaps miss an opportunity for others to draw closer to God. So those, those are three of the things that I would say uh, are, are some of the criteria for discerning. Some of us struggle too with, um, with the question of, well, are we not called to judge others? And I would just say, um, we are called to judge according to scripture what we feel is right or wrong. The judgment of others in terms of what they deserve or what consequences we should be giving them or anybody else should is a different story. So first of all, know why you believe what you believe uh, is right. Understand that and stand firm in that and be unashamed in it. But do not let our convictions or our reasons give permission to decide the matters of heart for someone else. That must be left to God. For us to judge others' hearts and their motives that, that's God's work, not ours. And to, to be careful to not let our understanding of the truth give a reason to violate other biblical truth. See, that's, it. that's the other thing that has been confusing. We feel so sure about our version of the truth. And we've been dealing with this for a couple of decades or more, maybe all through the last 2,000 years. This, this idea that somehow um, our version of the truth is so right on a given issue that it enables us to be judgmental and condemning or to violate other scriptures for the sake of one thing being right. And that um, when we do that, we justify all kinds of forms of punishment. And finally, all behaviors, attitudes, actions, and treatment of another must adhere to the commands of the love, humility, and grace of Jesus Christ. If they don't, it's sin. It's brokenness. I simply close. Um, we're out of time. And I want to just close with this story. It comes from a, a church in Houston, Texas. The Jersey Village Baptist Church. 
This was back in, on February 26 of 1995. The congregation began their evening service at 6.30, expecting a routine worship service. Well, however, during the invitation, so uh, some people have said, you know, we, we, we should do more invitations. Certainly, we want to be open to that and hear that, and, and I think that's a good challenge for us. In any case, they were offering an invitation, and of all things, this young girl walks down the aisle, and there in front of everybody confesses her sin to the Lord and sought encouragement from the church. And there was something so pure about her brokenness and willingness to name her sin that it broke the spirit of pride and hardness in that congregation. And after a response, other members started coming forward and confessing their sins. Around 9 p.m., some of the, those um, it, that were experiencing God in their midst, they, they kept coming to the altar, and there was a couple that went up to the altar together and asked for prayer. Their son had run away for about four months already because he wanted his freedom and to live the life the way he wanted without having to answer to anyone. And while the church was praying for him, he was at Mardi Gras in Galveston, Texas. And all of a sudden, he felt God was telling him to go home. Go home. That's all he could think. And he just heard this, go home. So he made the 90-minute drive from Galveston to Houston, only to discover that his house was dark. He couldn't believe that his parents would still be at church it was nearing 11 o'clock at night, and so he drove to the church anyway. And a deacon recognized him at the back door and pointed him to his parents, who were still, after that long time, an hour and a half, kneeling at the altar, praying for their son. And he made his way to the front. He tapped his parents on the shoulder. He embraced them. He told them of his desire to come home and to recommit his life to Christ. And it all started with one girl who repented of her sins. Folks, the greatest mission that Jesus had was to restore healing and wholeness and to fix and repair and mend and make even better than the original what had been broken and torn apart. And our willingness to seek that kind of healing and wholeness is vital. Are we willing? Are we willing to wait 90 minutes at the altar? Are we willing to commit even more time not just a prayer, but to the work of all of our ministries. Parents, please continue to pray over your kids, especially at night after they're asleep. Pray over them. Continue to pray for each other as a congregation. 
Continue to pray for the work of God because it is the point of the grace of Jesus Christ to restore and bring wholeness and that healing is waiting and is there for all of us. May God continue to be about his redeeming work in us.